the best personal brands are built over time. I mean, mm-hmm. months and years. It's it's a compounding game. The folks that I work with who often see the most value, when they start out, they don't really know what they want to achieve. They just know that it's going to be powerful. Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by BankTech Ventures, the first strategic investment fund designed by the community banking industry for community bank innovation and investment. BankTech identifies leading products and services for community banks and works with the founders and management teams to maximize the impact for community banks and their businesses. If you're a bank looking to innovate and invest in your future or a founder who wants to work with community banks, reach out to BankTech Ventures at banktechventures.com. I'm excited to welcome Teddy Mitrosilis to the podcast today. He was recently introduced to me by one of my partners at Operate, Mallory, and I've been super impressed by what I've seen of him, particularly online. Teddy started his own company last year after more than five years at a really interesting company called Striver, which is a leading virtual reality training company and and frankly, a Silicon Valley darling to a large extent. Uh, He led their enterprise consulting business as they scaled up and was there during that really high scale period. And prior to that, he was also an editor, a producer and director at both ESPN and Fox. So he really has that solid foundation in content and storytelling that is so relevant to the world that we're in today. He's really prolific on social media, uh, particularly LinkedIn, and we'll definitely talk about that today. Teddy, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Kerry. It's uh, my pleasure to be on your show. Let's start out with this entrepreneurial path. You started your own consulting business. You're less than a year into it. How's it mm-hmm. going so far? Yeah, it's it's going well. It's uh, it's also a humbling experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've I've done some entrepreneurial things in the past and and uh and I've come from a, a family of of small business entrepreneurs, but this is the first time I've really stepped out on my own to do my own thing. And what I'm doing now is not what I originally stepped out to mm-hmm. do. And 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 one of the first things I, I think I learned on on the journey was you you take an idea to the marketplace and the marketplace comes back with another one. Mm-hmm. And and that has been an early learning for me. And I think a willingness to to listen is something that, uh, you know, many, many entrepreneurs do a better job with than others, I guess, as far as a willingness, because if if the idea is why you did it in the first place, I, I definitely see some who will fight the marketplace if they're only passionate about that one thing. So let's yeah. go a little bit more into that. So the idea that came back to you is this something you're still pretty excited to work with and move on? Yeah, it is. You know, I'll give quick context. So sure. I spent the last six years at a tech startup, um, mm-hmm. joined when there was about 15 people, was right after the seed round, and stayed until there was about 150. Mm-hmm. And I was what you would call a generalist. Mm-hmm. And my skill set is primarily in communication and working with people. And so I found myself in different management roles as we built out the customer part of the organization. And so when I left Striver at the end of March of 22, 
my initial thought was I would do some coaching with up and coming startup managers and leaders, mm-hmm. take all the things I learned and, and turn around and help others on a similar journey. And so what I started doing was writing on LinkedIn and I started sharing just lessons and stories and ideas. <clears throat> and what started happening was it brought me back to my writing roots. I started to build a little bit of an audience and I noticed probably in summer 22, so maybe four months after, uh, for every conversation I was having about coaching, I had a leader or an executive ask, hey, what are you doing with LinkedIn? Like, what are you doing with content? Um, I, I'm not that active, but I understand the value of having a social presence. Can you help me with that? And, you know, you mentioned listening to the market. I think at that point, uh, I, my stubbornness was still getting the best of me. And so I was like, yeah, sure. Like I'll help you off the side of my desk while I still build this other thing. Mm-hmm. And around September, the the signal was so strong that a, there's a need here. And then B, I was uniquely suited given my background with writing journalism, media, and then an understanding of, of tech and being on the a leadership side that I could help. And so mm-hmm. that's when I decided to pivot, if you will, to uh, to working with folks on content and and building their personal brands. Hmm. Very interesting. So you you gotten into this. I mean, you're kind of at the same time leading by example to your clients, right? Building content, building yeah. your own personal brand. What what are a couple of things you feel like you've had to go learn that maybe you didn't necessarily have the background in uh, that, that, that you know as you've been out now doing this. Yeah, I mean, the the very first thing that comes to mind is, I, I guess what you just call sales skills, hmm. like how how to take an idea to the market, package it, communicate it, and find a client, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I um I had some natural communication skills, but I, I've I had never you know worked in in a formal sales role, never been trained formally on sales. Uh, fortunately I have an amazing wife who has spent her entire career in sales. Mm. And so she was the first one who was like, you know, I think it would really help you if you spent some time, made an investment in developing yourself in this area. And so that's the the most obvious like skill gap that I had um, in terms of being an entrepreneur and and trying to get something off the ground. But truthfully, I'm learning every day. Um, I'm, I, I, I kind of pride myself on being a practitioner so the stuff that I work on with clients, I'm working on it myself all the time. I live mm-hmm. in this stuff mm-hmm. and um, and I love to learn. So I think there are always opportunities for that. Well, I think that that's kind of a unique opportunity in this marketplace a little bit is you're, you're learning by doing, you're developing by doing, and then you're turning around and kind of helping bring others along with you. So it, it seems like that creator opportunity right now or or audience builder opportunity is a uh is a is somewhat unique one in the history of business. I don't know that you have a lot of parallels to draw from from prior eras. It it really is. And and one of the things that I find myself talking about a lot with folks is it, it's not just about creators, you know, and um I think there's a there can be a connotation around the word creator or building your brand. Um, that's like, oh, I, oh, so I need to be a social media influencer. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a very small segment of yes. it. The way that I really think about this, and this is where really I'm more passionate. I'm passionate about helping entrepreneurs and people who are building things. Cause I, 
I come from that. My family did that and I, and I respect it. This is really what I just think about as modern communication. Mm-hmm. We, we live in a digital world and with the advancement of the internet, with the development of AI that is coming, like we're not becoming less digital, we're becoming more. Yes. And as we've seen over the last couple of years, work is now more remote, it's more dispersed, it's more async. And so I believe that communication skills have never been more valuable. And so how do you communicate in a digital first world, if you will? That is primarily through social media. Those are the platforms that we all use to communicate with friends. That's where the attention is. And so I think there's an opportunity, and this is the opportunity I'm trying to help folks with, is to take someone who doesn't really care about being an influencer or creator, they're building things in in businesses in life, but how do you leverage these tools in a way that helps you, helps your business, helps your company, um, and kind of modernizes the way that you communicate? That all makes a ton of sense. So let's talk about an example of one of your clients that, sure. and you know, how they've benefited from embracing this more uh, specifically. Yeah. So the way that I think about writing online, building an audience, building a brand, whatever you want to call it, is it's a fire hose. You're building a fire hose of attention that you can point at whatever it is that is important to you. So one of my previous clients runs an investment company. He used to spend a ton of time um, on deal flow, finding finding new deals. Now he spent two years building up a great audience online on Twitter and LinkedIn. And now almost 100% of deal flow comes to him. Hmm. Um, another guy that I worked with is a great, he's an, also an investor, entrepreneur, and a great writer. He just signed recently an international book deal because he has a big personal brand. Um, I, I know of plenty of folks who... Um, have saved a bunch of money on recruiting fees and and um, and talent because talent comes to them through their LinkedIn audience, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's kind of um, the question is really uh, how do I leverage this for what matters to me mm-hmm. as opposed to what can I do with it because the the opportunities are are pretty limitless. How important do you think it is to have a goal or end in mind when you're I mean, you mentioned some some really, I you know, I got a talent, I got investments, I got a book deal. Like, how how important do you think it is to have that goal versus just knowing you have a point of view and things to say? Yeah, it it's really an intuitive question, Carrie, and, and I actually screen for this when mm-hmm. I work with folks. So, what we're getting at is mindset here. I believe I don't really want to work with folks who are too wrapped around an arbitrary goal. Because I don't think that's the best way to build um, a, a personal brand and and um, and go about it. What what I think is important to have is a purpose mm-hmm. and a vision for why you're building it. But the best the best personal brands are built over time. I mean, mm-hmm. months and years. It's it's a compounding game. And so the folks that I work with who often see the most value when they start out, they don't really know what they want to achieve. They just know that it's going to be powerful. And over time, they, they invest the time into building the skills and then they can leverage it in many ways. I think the folks that are just clear on their purpose, why they want to do it, what the value is for them, for their people, for their customers, what have you, and commit to the process mm-hmm. of doing it, those are the ones who do the best. Well, you built a really engaged audience yourself. 
what have you learned from that? I mean, have you like have you seen a different actual audience emerge than maybe what you originally thought, or, or what what are some things that you you've learned? Yeah, I, I think the first thing is I've learned just the power of community mm. and building a community. You know, so what that means to me is setting out to actually build relationships with your with your audience. And you know, I, I don't view social media really any different than the local coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Like it's about conversation. It's about connection. It's about getting to know, you know, Teddy and Carrie having a conversation, uh, me supporting you, however I can, you support me, however you can. And that's the spirit of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, LinkedIn in particular, I think is an amazing community. It's a more positive platform in my experience. So that's, that's the biggest learning when you approach it with that spirit, almost a spirit of a relational aspect and a, and a service mindset. Um, that is when you can really see the fruit of it. And, you know, and then, and one of the best parts of, of it all is the relationships. Like I have now, you know, just in the last couple months, I've talked to, I've been on zooms with people in France, in Germany, in Mm. India, in Mexico, um, in, in England, um, in South Africa, that would never be possible for Mm -hmm. some kid who grew up in Redondo beach, California, (laughs) but Putting yourself out here, you know, it, it shrinks the world in a, in a really special way. Well, just like showing up to the coffee shop, right? You've got to be there or you're not going to be part of the conversation. It's the same thing uh, in that analogy on, on a place like LinkedIn or other social media sites. You got to you got to show up and participate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and support, you know, right. help help others win. So what do you like most? You mentioned the positive nature of it. And I would tend to agree with you uh, with LinkedIn. What what else do you really like about LinkedIn? I think the global aspect of it, there's, you know, there's a big, big market outside the US. And and for me, why that is fun and interesting is one, like I mentioned, the relationships you built, but to the perspectives too. You know, it's I, I really enjoy learning and I I I one of my just personal values is, is evolution. And what that means to me in one context is never staying stuck in my own silo. Mm. And so the opportunity to be exposed to people who just have different experiences, different lifestyles, that's really cool. And I think there's a long, you know, runway ahead for LinkedIn as a platform. Um, They're a little bit behind the times in terms of using it as a, as a content creation platform. It just wasn't Mm. Mm-hmm. didn't start out that way, but uh, they're investing a lot of resources into making it a better platform for, for content creation. And, um, and so I, I really love the future of LinkedIn. Any things you feel like maybe they haven't identified or realized they need to invest in that you feel like they should? You know, I, I think just some, some basic tools to make it easier for people to create content, to analyze their content, analytics, um, things of that nature, um, uh, a little bit uh, more development in terms of content formats, you know, making it a little more um, creatively flexible there. But honestly, I think they're doing a solid job. And I personally know some folks who are over there and um, and they've got some big plans. So I, I, I'm excited to see what they do. Very cool. I, I've thought a lot about them improving the kind of audience segmentation audience audience insights i I have a lot of contacts on there i've been on there for a long long time and i feel like that's an area they haven't improved enough for a heavy user 
to be able to to just utilize it for different contexts of life. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I, I think the feed can get better. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, I think notifications can get better. You know, there there are folks who like I want to stay really closely connected yes. with. I want to see their content. I want to see what they're doing. And truthfully, I miss a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just difficult. Mm-hmm. So I think that'd be another area. Yeah, great, great idea. Uh, you mentioned this kind of evolution. I I also do like LinkedIn and the idea that I'm now getting exposed to this younger generation who are also so it's probably the most multi-generational platform right now. Yeah. And so you're seeing this increasing number of of Gen Z. I mean, I've got a couple of high mm. school kids. They they now have LinkedIn profiles at my encouragement, probably more from a consumption at this point, but hopefully that leads them to get comfortable finding a, a voice and and something to to share and, and participate yeah. in. Um, as you think about startups now and this era with an increasing number of Gen Z participants in them, you know, if you're my age who's been involved in a lot of startups in my life, they, you know, what should I be thinking about as a founder? Um, from how to how to work most effectively with this digitally native generation. I'll, I'll use an example from sports uh, mm-hmm. because I, I have an athletic background. I was a college athlete and sports is a big, big part of my life. So I, I really like Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you who don't know who Nick Saban is, he's the football coach at the University of Alabama, um, probably the most successful football coach of all time. Um, Inc. or Forbes, one of those publications recently named him one of the most 50 influential leaders in the world, which is pretty astounding. Mm -hmm. And the way that Saban frames the program, uh, I think is brilliant. And it's basically this, you come to Alabama to create value for your future. Hmm. And so everything that they do in that program from developing you as an athlete to a person, to your academic career, to professional skills it is all with around built around this mission of you are going to be more successful in life because you played football at the University of Alabama. And what Alabama does is they're very smart in the way that they market themselves and their program. And just the other day, I saw on Twitter, on the Alabama football Twitter page, they had a graphic up there that said, um, the players who have played for Nick Saban at Alabama and went on to the NFL have made a combined $2 billion in the NFL. Hmm. And so they've put things out there like that. Uh, we have the most dr- first round draft picks um, of any program. We have uh, successful entrepreneurs in these industries. And it's all built around the spirit of we create value for you. And so when Saban, he's known as being one of the greatest recruiters out there. The pitch is basically like, here's what we do at Alabama. This is how we're designed. It's all to create value for you. And here are examples of that value that have played Mm -hmm. out in many different areas. Do you want to play here? And the kids are like, yeah, I want to play here. I want to go on to the NFL and make a bunch of money. I want to win a national championship. And so it becomes this this, uh, self-fulfilling cycle where Alabama gets the next wave of talent that keeps them good. They win championships, school makes money and it goes round and round. And so I've thought a lot about how do you take that model and apply it to building a company? Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I, I'm not in Gen Z. Uh, I'm technically a millennial. I'm, I'm kind of a millennial going on an old man uh, <laughs> in many ways. So I don't know that I totally relate, but I do think um, one of the most important parts to a, to a younger generation is how do you create value for them? How, how do you make your organization a place where they want to come develop? And so if you were building a startup and you said, hey, this is how we design our organization. We, we're here to make you successful because we believe when you're successful and we develop you, it's going to be good for us. And um, this is how we do it. From the moment you start your onboarding until the last day that you're here, these are the programs and systems we have built to help create value for you. Oh, and by the way, our last VP of marketing is now the CMO at OpenAI. Mm -hmm. Our last head of sales uh, is just took their company public, right? Our, our last director of ops is now a chief operating officer at this unicorn. Would you like to be part of our company? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are organizations that do that well, but I do think there's an opportunity going forward for companies to really lean into that and to take a create value for the employee approach um, and, a, and think about that differently, that I think can be powerful. Yeah, it's a really interesting thought to consider. I mean, the, the one thing I'd push back a little bit on is in startups, uh, that sort of intention is often difficult only in that you're in such a frenetic survive sure. and figure it out to eventually thrive mode. And so I, I just ponder how early in the startup's life is that possible? I, I did see a graphic the other day. It was showing that OpenAI, you, you mentioned as an example, is already seemingly developing its own quote unquote mafia and that a number of people are have already left there and gone on to do uh, amazing things, just like you know their previously era of, of PayPal or or Google or others. Yeah, so, yeah, it, it's a yeah. it's a good point too. You know, and there's obviously a lot of nuance in this, and yes. and, and it's going to be different. I think for every company, every company culture is different. I don't I don't really believe there's a cookie cutter approach. Agree to to anything. Um, so yeah, you have to find out how how can you do it, and you know, when you're an early stage startup too, like resources are always uh, a a factor. So mm -hmm. you do the best with what you can, but I think the spirit of it um, is an interesting one. Totally. And then, I mean, and then go to the other side, think about the really established company. When I was coming out of school, I had friends going to places like IBM or Accenture or others for that. Hey, this is a great career development or skill development path. Even established companies, you could see really embracing this and working on the new sets of skills and brand building opportunities that maybe didn't exist in that era, but are the the new ones of interest and relevance to those people coming out of school today. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great example. Let's talk about work environment. You know, we've, we've seen in, in it, we've, we've seen this, this view of, uh, you know, hybrid remote work. And mm -hmm. I still seem to talk to enough people who say, when are we going back to the office or when are we going back to quote unquote normal? And I, I just am and probably like you, never the mind that we're going back, we're going to figure right. out the next evolved version. So how do you think about the future of work? Yeah, I, I think I'm of similar mind of you, Carrie. 
whenever I hear, you know, the word normal, my first instinctual response is what is normal? Yes. Uh, the only normal is, is change and not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think we're going back. I think we're only going forward now. What forward means, you know, we, we will see, uh, Obviously, there are organizations out there that are kind of planting a flag on where they stand on remote mm-hmm. versus non-remote. Um, my hunch is, you know, some some version of hybrid will be the most common going forward. <clears throat> but you know, to me, there's there's a couple skills that come to mind that I think are going to be more important going forward. And you know, one is is what I call situational awareness. Mm. Um, you know, I, I learned this from I've got a buddy who was a Navy SEAL for twelve years. And, um, and they would talk about, you know, how their teams, their units, um, how they were so able to operate effectively at a high level with like precise communication. And a big part of it was training situational awareness, knowing what the other parts of the unit are doing. I think that is going to be very helpful uh, and important and, and challenging when, you know, obviously you're not in the same location all the time. Um, and then two is communication, like really thinking about mm-hmm. what is our communication architecture as a company? What are the tools we use? Um, what are the the norms that we set around communication? How do we make sure information, you know, or the proper information is flowing up and mm-hmm. down and across to the right folks? So I, I don't know that I have any answers on how to do that well in this environment going forward, but I, those are two areas that I'm thinking a lot about and, and curious to see and study um, how folks do it, because I think that that will be very important wherever we land on the hybrid remote work um, equation. Hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting to think of like the situational awareness idea is, is a really interesting one because in that case you say, okay, Who's responsible for that awareness? Mm. Am I responsible for my own or am I responsible for everyone's? And I'm sure the in the SEALs training, it's probably a little bit mutual. And if you think about a distributed asynchronous team and that idea, it's very different as far as who knows what, when, versus we're all in here, we all heard it, saw it at the same time in the same way. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm thinking back uh, even to you know to my six years at Striver and that startup experience. And, uh, you know, we had, I had two two years in the COVID environment before I left. So I kind of saw pre-COVID and then post mm-hmm. and we were growing fast through that. And it was a challenge for sure. And, and one thing I, I think we could have done better as a company is spent more time talking about how we communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the expectations? Like, you know, literally, how are we going to do this in different, in different environments and different, different mediums. And, and to the point of responsibility, I I do think it's both. I think, you know, each in in a strong team, each person takes their 100% of responsibility to communicate well, but then you also have an environment and a structure that's built to support that. You know, you can't, you can't leave people on an island and then hold, you know, hold them accountable for good communication. It, it, it has to be, uh, you know, in tandem. That's right. I, t- I totally agree. One, one of the experiments that we tried last year uh, in starting a company that was intentionally distributed is bringing in a head of talent, head of people from the beginning. 
Normally, you wouldn't bring someone like that in at that senior level until you're at, I don't know, probably 50 plus people. But because we were so intentional about being distributed, we said, look, we need to have a culture. We need to have processes and systems to support this. And we need somebody who really will lead that beyond and, and demonstrate that this is a part of how we work here. Um, yeah. Do you, it, I'm curious, it's worked pretty well. It's it's worked really, really well to establish some of those routines and rhythms. And I think the values that we felt like were key to um, getting a, a new company off the ground in a, in an otherwise environment, you'd prefer to have everybody together. But, you know, in this case, we felt like we were going to get the best potential people by building it distributed. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I was curious, what is one thing that has has worked well for y'all and that you've learned in doing that? I think the, you know, I, I was thinking about this as you were talking about situational awareness. I think the values have just really been clear to people. And mm. I see a, a much higher sense of safety and trust, which are pretty important values for communication is I, I'm going to be more willing to to share the good and bad and ugly uh, yeah. be willing to ask questions if I see a sense of, of mutual trust and a safe environment where that's okay. And in, when you're face-to-face, -face, I think you can sense it and feel it a little bit. Mm -hmm. When you're not, I think you have to have other things in place to make sure that that those connections are are built. And so I think the team feels much more connected because of that. Yeah, that's great. It's, you know, I'll be upset. I don't know if you've seen any other experiments because I totally agree with you. Communication is is paramount for this new area, regardless of the of the type of work and, and how it's being done. But any any other things you're seeing that you have really you've paid attention to and said that's that's pretty unique and interesting. One one trend, if you will, that I'm focusing on for following is companies that are great at documenting everything. So like mm -hmm. async communication. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, down to like, how do we um, document meetings? Uh, do we have a central company wiki where we store information? Um, what's the single source of truth for information? Mm -hmm. you know, how do we, when we have folks who are not only in different time zones, but different countries who are working together, collaborating on a single project, how do you make sure that when people are sitting down to work wherever they are in the world, they've got the information and the tools that they need to be productive. Um, I have a lot of respect for companies and people who do that well. I think it's very difficult, yes. but I think that is going to be something that's highly important for for all companies to think about going forward is, is the written communication and how you leverage that. Um, and now we have tools like Loom, so there's video as well. Um, so how you how you leverage async communication styles at scale, I think is fascinating. Super fascinating. I mean, you go into that even more and you start thinking about this sort of collective knowledge of mm. an organization. And you know, I was I was talking to a founder recently who is organizing all the contact information stored in emails and calendar invitations of an organization. So if you're a professional services organization, and you're trying to figure out who knows people in this client that 
there there's knowledge sitting in these systems that historically has not been mined and organized effectively to better map the organizations together. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. So I, I think we're early because your point, I mean, yeah. ask, asking, you know, I, I have built a lot of sales organizations and asking people to document those conversations yeah. or um, capture those notes and, and see the collective value is, is a hard sell. You sort of had to mandate it. I think we're increasingly going to see more, hopefully, intelligence and automation that takes care of it and captures some of it and then organizes it for leverage and reuse across but it's that's i love that point because i think it's a very valid one that not enough people are thinking enough about yet yeah so let's talk a little bit more about about you teddy i know you mentioned that you you love to take on new challenges you're you're and you know it sounds like a lifelong learner uh you know evolver who who continuously likes that what is it that when you think about it the potential new challenge what is it that excites you to say i'm going to go try to to do this one? It's a great question. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell a short story. So when I, I, I've been obsessed with baseball since I was about four years old hmm. and uh, you know, I played it all the way through college and early on, very early on, my parents saw that passion and, you know, particularly my dad growing up used that as the vehicle for teaching me lessons. Hmm. And so you know, I was like the six-year-old who would be in the garage, you know, from the moment dinner was done until bed, like hitting balls off a tee and loved it. Like no one ever had asked me to do that. <laughs> and, and my dad would say these little things to me, like, it's just in passing. He would say things like, you know, consistency, consistency, or it's the little things that will make you great. It's the little things that will make you great. And I was like, yeah, whatever, dad, like I'm seven years old. I don't, I don't know what you mean. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, it, that did two things to me over time. One, it instilled a love of the process of improving mm -hmm. and it instilled just an appreciation for the work that it takes to get better at something. And so as I grew up and, and, um, played, you know, baseball and I got into my professional career. And, and even now as a dad, um, as a husband in every area of my life, like I just really enjoy the process of working at something. Mm -hmm. I enjoy the process of improving. And so the challenge excites me. Um, but it's not so much the, um, the prize or the accomplishment at the end of it that really gets me going. It's more of can I, can I work through this process that's, that I know at the end or whatever I exit the process, I'm going to be a different person. Um, that is what really excites me. And so that's why, you know, I seek out physical challenges. I seek out intellectual challenges. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to find people who are world-class and it could be like an investor, an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. or it could be like a baker. I don't really care. Uh, I'm, I'm obsessed with learning, like, how do you do what you do at a high level? And, uh, and so I think it's the process of learning and improvement that really drives me and motivates me. Do you have a favorite way to learn? For me, it's a combination of study and then experience. Mm -hmm. So study is, is primarily reading and also writing. I, I learn a lot through writing. Um, and then experience is going out and doing things. 
So being hands-on when I can, um, you know, I, I, I like to go out and do, you know, training missions with different people. Um, yeah, if I can like actually get in the weeds of something and experience it, uh, that's where I learned the most. And it, and it creates stories and memories that you can kind of tap into for a long time, uh, which is cool too. Mm -hmm. You mentioned growing up in a, a family business environment. Did you work in that at all? So very little. Uh, okay. so, you know, my, it started with my grandfather. My grandfather, um, grew up in Greece. He, uh, he dropped out of the fourth grade. Um, he was, uh, his dad died when he was a baby. He didn't know his dad. And then, um, you know, he spent his childhood basically, um, escaping war, escaping, you know, Nazi invasion, had a very rough upbringing. Um, and he left Greece at 27 and came to America. It didn't have really much language, had no money. He had one uncle in, in Milwaukee that he knew. And so he spent the next you know, four or five decades, um, hopping around odd jobs and finally landed in the restaurant business, typical Greek story hmm. and, and built a family restaurant business that put three kids through college. Um, Amazing. so very inspiring to me as a, you know, a small business, small scale entrepreneur, but very meaningful. My dad grew up in that restaurant business hmm. since he was eight or nine. Um, and by the time he was 15 or 16, he, you know, his parents would go to Greece for six weeks and and leave the restaurant business to him and his brother to run. And so that's how my dad grew up. I, and then, you know, my dad went into a different business. He's been in, in uh, commercial real estate appraisal for almost 30 years running mm -hmm. his own company. And so I had some summers growing up working in my dad's appraisal business, learning, you know, fundamental things. But, um, you know, I was always, uh, I was always playing sports and playing baseball. And, mm -hmm. and luckily my my parents saw that and they fed that obsession. And so I didn't grow up working in the business too much, but did have a little bit of experience. Okay. And, and I mean, increasingly that, that is a job in, in uh, this youth sports crazed uh, world that, that we, we have now. And, you know, I've got three kids, so I've definitely lived through that. And um, I happened to grow up in a family retail business and worked a lot with my dad and my grandfather growing up. So I thought, there probably were some parallels there, but I, I've told many people over the years that most of what I feel like I, I learned that's been most helpful to me in life and business was in, in the lumberyard and hardware store growing up. Yeah, it, it's funny how that works. Uh, you know, I, I probably would have benefited from having a few other jobs growing up, but um, it just it just wasn't my path. But I love stories like that. So you're not quite a year into your new startup you've uh you've, you've sort of pivoted and found where the market is what do you see ahead for you over the next few years yeah you know i i tend to not project too far down the road but um there are a couple of things that that i'm feeling a lot of passion around right now one is um building um a a media property um called the process um that's that's a newsletter today Mm. Um, it has about 12,000 leaders reading it. Uh, it's, it's about personal improvement, helping people get better. Um, I got plans to expand that outside of the newsletter space into a broader digital media property. Um, so we'd love to see that grow. Would love to obviously work more with, um, founders and entrepreneurs and helping them, you know, find their stories and, and, uh, build their, their brands online. Um, and then, you know, down the road, I, I, I think as my, my own, 
media platform um, continues to grow, hopefully, I would love there to be some sort of investing arm to what I do, mm -hmm. using that as a distribution channel to amplify um, what what some entrepreneurs who I respect and, and love what they're doing, um, you know, help them and their companies grow. So I, I could see that, but that it's probably a longer term uh, effort. Very cool. Well, we're coming up against time. I've got one more question because you are interacting with so many people in the community that you serve. What's the most common question you feel like you get from founders and entrepreneurs today? How do I start? Hmm. And it sounds so simple and obvious, but in my experience, um, a lot of people get wrapped around the big picture and they get overwhelmed by that. And so often what I'm doing, and, and this is one of my skills, so it luckily it aligns, is I'm just simplifying things for people. Mm -hmm. Like let's, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about focusing on process and not so much the arbitrary outcome. So I... I get a sense of kind of what's driving you. And now let's break that down into something that we can actually execute on, on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. So yeah, how do I start? How do I enter this space? How do I use it in a way that I'm proud of and that I feel good about? Um, how do I, you know, use it to amplify my people, my business, you know, so that that's really kind of where it all begins. Teddy, thank you. I'm so, it was such a fun conversation. I, I'm so appreciative to Mallory for introducing us. And uh, I'm excited that we may find some really fun things to collaborate on as well. Yeah, thank you, Carrie. It's, it's it's an honor. I've admired you from afar. I really, uh, as someone who writes a lot on LinkedIn uh, or a fair amount, um, I appreciate the way that you show up there. I think you're a good model for leaders who want to enter this space. So Thank you for doing that. And, uh, and I look forward to, uh, to the future. Well, thank you. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.